Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 239. Hey, our episode number is the aspect ratio of Scope Movies, which also happens to be the aspect ratio of Discovery Season 2 and Picard Season 1. That's notable. <laughs> I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing uh, the beginning of Voyager's seventh and final season, Unimatrix Zero Part Two, Imperfection, and Drive. Here we go. Unimatrix Zero Part Two, Season Seven, Episode One, Production Code Two Forty Seven, Original Air Date October Fourth, Two Thousand. Directed by Mike Beeger, story by Mike Sussman, Brandon Braga, and Joe Minoski. Teleplay by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast includes Susanna Thompson as Borg Queen, Mark Deacons as Axum, Jerome Butler as General Korok, Joanna Heimbald as Laura, Ryan Sparks as Alien Child, Tony Sears as Borg Drone, Andrew Palmer as Errant Drone, and Clay Storsis as Alien Man. Janeway, Tuvok, and Taurus are unconnected to the Collective, as the Doctor has inoculated them with a neural inhibitor, protecting their individuality. However, Tuvok's inhibitor is wearing off, and the Collective eventually overcomes his mind. The Borg Queen confronts Janeway, demanding that the drones of Unimatrix Zero submit themselves for reassimilation. The Queen destroys several of her own ships, each housing thousands of lives because only a handful are offline. Janeway calls her bluff, pointing out that such a tactic would essentially require her to destroy the entire collective. They've developed a nanovirus that can kill every Borg with a mutation. They're prepared to release it inside Unimatrix Zero, unless all the drones there return to the collective for reassimilation immediately. It's not compromise, that's surrender. I won't be responsible for any more deaths. At least they'll survive as drones. Tell them Unimatrix Zero can no longer exist. That's an order. Now this is weird. I think I like this part two more than the part one. Mm. And I was very conscious of thinking, that never happens in Star Trek, right? <laughs> yeah. When is part two better than part one, ever? Um, was I just in a good mood or something? Or was this episode actually better than the first one, Steve? I certainly, I you know, I'd have to like maybe see them back to back to really feel anything about that. But I certainly didn't get the usual kind of downer feeling of a part two that often happens. You know, where you're going into it and then it all it like feels like it never um, fulfills expectations or or just kind of like feels like they have to write a bunch of nonsense fluff to get through it or something. I, I didn't really feel that in this. I felt like it's a story. It keeps moving. It's a relatively well paste and you know and so on and so forth um and there's some interesting ideas in it it made me curious a lot about um the queen and the kind of existence of the queen and what's what's behind that when you know you hear that she's a, a person that was assimilated as a child and all this kind of there's a lot you know i think yeah, I, that was surprising right because yeah we thought that they that she was created or something somehow right i mean and i guess that's never been answered like what is going on with queens anyway you know how many how many are there what's the story is there only one at a time is there are they you know anyway but uh, there's some interesting curiosities and they you know they keep it interesting with uh dealing with a number of things two bucks on on the fritz or whatever and uh uh they've got uh you know you have uh seven and dealing with her 
uh, how she's torn about, you know, having any of these kind of feelings and uh, feeling vulnerable in that sense and so on. And even the doctor and, you know, that kind of underlying jealousy kind of in there, that's always kind of hanging there. So there's a lot of different little pieces here that, that keep it interesting and, and, and not really quite like anything we've seen with Borg stories. Adam, your first thoughts? Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you, Brian. I think when we were talking a couple of weeks ago about part one, um, we got, I think if I remember correctly, we kind of felt like it was a little bit disconjointed. We wanted a little bit more about the relationships that Seven had in Matrix. kind of a little bit more about that. It kind of, the first part one kind of meandered a little bit, whereas this episode seemed to be tighter. It seemed to be kind of on pace with what it wanted to do and what it wanted to say. Um, and, and the flow was better. The pacing, the flow of the, the story um, felt a lot um, a lot better, basically. Um, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I, I kind of would have liked to have gotten a little bit more about the Borg Queen about, you know, because I, I, I remember that like right that scene right when it happened. She's like, oh, I was born. I was assimilated at your age. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this and then i know they've never kind of gone back and explained that is it kind of like um my thought is like is it kind of like a beehive where a queen kind of shows up every now and then and they get um sent off to start their own collective i don't know anyway um i i thought that was interesting um it would have been nice to get a little bit more on that but um sometimes um you know you got to leave mysteries out there for um future telling so i don't think that hurt this episode in any way um but like i said i felt the pacing was better um we got um, kind of a more organized feeling from Seven about how she felt about Unimatrix and, um, you know, the, the person that she had a relationship with in there. And yes, obviously, we got some um, an interesting scene with her and the doctor, with the doctor as, um, you know, encouraging her to, um, you know, explore this relationship um, to kind of know herself better and her humanity. And, you know, we also got a little bit of that. Um, that look, just because Picardo is a great actor, he was able to kind of just subtly, you know, um, show that just with his facial expressions, you know, the feelings that he has for um, Seven. So that was a nice scene um, for, for a couple of reasons. And yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, these this two-parter, I wouldn't it, I wouldn't call it like my favorite two-parter, but I, I think of it as it, it's fine. Um, it was entertaining. Um, it, I, I don't think it was the best Borg episodes in Voyager and, you know, not obviously in, in the whole Star Trek universe of storytelling, but I mean, it was fine. It, um, it, it hit its objectives and it kind of got us rolling into season seven. It's kind of a cool sequence there. The battle at the end, I thought was pretty good. And, and seeing a Borg sphere show up with a Borg, like acting as a normal sentient person and saying mm-hmm. they're going to assist Voyager in battle. I mean, that, that was, I was like, I, we really never, we talk a lot about how they can repeat things, but I don't, we've never seen that before. Right. That's not ever happened. I don't think so. So that was neat and unique. Um, And it did make for a pretty good battle. I think that all three, or especially this first and the third episodes we're going to discuss today, they've really made some strides in the effects department. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically, you know, the entirely CG created stuff with the ships and things like that. And yeah, so that battle sequence was, was uh, pretty good, pretty entertaining. Pretty nutty that the queen would start destroying, you know, her own ships and so many Borg drones. I mean, thank God they must just have a real plethora of Borg drones <laughs> to be able to discard thousands that way. Yeah, it's a bit of. I mean, in a sense, I mean, I get that Janeway gives in ultimately doesn't want to, see, you know, but can't you really just keep doing this indefinitely? I mean, if if they're spread out, 
you know, evenly, you should get to destroy all of them or something, you know, ultimately almost nearly all of the ships or whatever. What are you going to end? It's kind of a, I don't know, it's almost like an empty thread or something. Well, I think, you know, obviously the, the Borg, they don't have the same kind of, um, value on life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we've seen this throughout that, you know, they're, they're willing to kind of end drones on a whim. And, um, and like I said, the the queen was trying to, you know, she was trying to pull off Janeway into giving her what she wanted there in the beginning. Um, Obviously, um, Janeway saw through that, and, you know, and we had a, we had our episode. Another scene that I kind of liked was the scene with the where the Borg Queen has the conversation with the boy, mm-hmm. right? But I did kind of think of now I can't remember his name. So this was which actress was this as the Queen? Susanna Thompson. This was Susanna Thompson. Okay, so it was not Alice, right? Uh, Krieg from the First Contact, which I believe Alice comes back for the. Yeah, finale, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. I did, kind of, and I like Susanna Thompson. I think she's great, but I did kind of wonder, like that scene with the with the queen talking to the boy. I bet Alice Kriget would have been way more creepy. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I've seen plenty of movies where she is interacting with children, and it's creepy as hell. Which is an interesting thing to be known for, right? Creepy with the kids. We need someone creepy with kids. Oh, I know who to get. <laughs> But so yeah, I, I just I wondered if that scene would have been even better with her. But regardless, it, uh, it's a cool scene, and again, another unique thing. And maybe that's what I like made, made me enjoy this episode more was that it it felt like it justified itself a little bit better than than part one. I mean, it's the kind of thing where I think I feel like maybe we talked about this in part one, but it felt like there was it was stretching it to make it two episodes. But like this episode makes me think, yeah, I mean, if this had just been a single episode, I think it would have been stronger instead of it having to be a season finale and a season opener mm-hmm. uh what's this episode about i kind of it's it to me it still kind of has the same themes from um part one obviously you know seven would we call this like a seven episode or is that um was that fair these two parter two parter you know who else it would be if it has to be somebody i mean yeah Jamie. so yeah oh, Jay, sure. so i mean I, I guess in a way you know um Getting, you know, knowing yourself. I think this is what we kind of talked about in part one. Obviously, Seven is re- reluctant to um, explore this relationship with, with, with what is the character's name in Unimatrix? Uh, Axum. Axum. She's reluctant to re- explore this relationship with Axum. She's actually, you know, for, you know, when she finds out in part one and, you know, a good portion of this episode, she's kind of irritated with him. She doesn't want to be around him. To the point where, like, she doesn't even want to go back to your Matrix. You know, we've had Jacote even saying, "Hey, you know, you need to kind of get over this." And so she finally does go back to your Matrix. And I, I kind of think that's just a fear um, that you know. I, I think it's a fear that all of us kind of share. Is like you know when you when you're attracted to somebody or you have that initial butterflies or something like that. It can be kind of scary because you have to um, you kind of have to put yourself out there. And I think this is kind of what Seven's going for. She's that she doesn't want to do this because she doesn't want to go through the possibility of rejection. So in, in a lot of ways, that part of this, of this episode is, is exploring her, her human nature, which is a, a big part of um, the second half of all these Voyager seasons is, is seven and, and exploring her, her humanity and her nature. And that's, you know, that's a reflection on all of us that we can look at her and her character and how she's going through this and how, you know, it relates to all of us. So, that's kind of what I took from it. And um, 
um, I guess it's just about individuality, you know, you know, fighting for your freedom is kind of a broader theme with them, you know, these, these Borg who are in the Unimatrix and they're, they're trying to hold on to their individuality and who they are. Yeah, it's like in that they essentially sacrificed their world they have, you know, in order to, for the principles of the individuality and so on, in, in a way. So that, that's definitely a, a theme. And yeah, with Seven, it's this notion of vulnerability, which obviously she struggles with, and we all struggle with to some extent. But, you know, she's, we see in the first part, it's like, oh, she's different there. You know, she's a different person. There's different parts of her come out. But um, at the same time, as she begins to kind of integrate those personalities in a way, she realizes that she's not so comfortable with this vulnerability and she backpedals with Axum and all of that and ultimately comes back to kind of find a middle ground, I think. But so, yeah, there's some, I think there's a couple of primary themes there in this episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll get more into that in the next episode. I think that kind of comes out a lot mm-hmm. more. And um, the, the next episode we'll be just discussing. All right, let's do six degrees for Unimatrix Zero, part two. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Andrew Palmer plays the Borg drone that the Queen decides to kill because she can't hear his thoughts anymore. Palmer previously played a different Borg drone in a Trek feature that came out in what year? Mm, 96. Yes, sir. First contact. Adam, Mark Deacons plays Axum. We last saw him play Axum in what episode? <laughs> Unimatrix Part 1. Say again. Unimatrix Part 1. What? <laughs> no! That's not the name of the episode. Oh, is it not? Okay. Well, I guess I got it wrong. Unimatrix Zero. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. That was weird. Um, I don't know what to Mr. say. Zero. Sorry. Unimatrix Part 1. So the Unimatrix part, Unimatrix zero. Steve, you can have it. It's fine. Unimatrix one part zero, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you backpedaled and got the Unimatrix. All right, all right, all right. You each get a point. All right. Um, one to one, moving on. Imperfection, Season 7, Episode 2, Production Code 248. Original air date, October 11th, 2000. Directed by David Livingston, story by Andre Bermanis, teleplay by Carlton Eastlake and Robert Doherty, music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Manu Interami as Icheb, Marley S. McLean as Mazadi, Kurt Weatherill as Azan, Cody Weatherill as Rebbe, Debbie Groton as Wasanti, and Michael McPhail as Salvage Alien. Voyager encounters a Wasanti starship, which is from the same homeworld as Rebbe and Azan. The Wazanti offered to take the two children as well as Mazanti, leaving Echep the remaining child that Voyager had rescued from the Borg. Echep and Seven of Nine discuss their feelings about the others' departures, and Echep sees that Seven is crying. She instead believes her ocular implant is malfunctioning and goes to sickbay. The doctor agrees it is a malfunction and treats Seven, but she continues to experience headaches and strange feelings. I know how to save her. I'm certainly open to suggestions. I've been analyzing the simulations you performed. They failed because you tried to implement a cortical node from a dead drone. That's correct. What you require is a live drone. I've already been through that with Captain Janeway. My cortical node is operational. I want you to remove it and give it to Seven. Absolutely not! Well, at least review my research. It may as well be a suicide note. I don't agree. Well, that's comforting. Adam, kick us off on imperfection. Imperfection. You know, um, first off, just kind of on a side note, I this is kind of um, I kind of noticed 
this is the difference between television today and television, you know, 20 years ago when Voyager came out. Because I kind of felt like this episode would have been better being shown third. I kind of felt like the um, the drive should have been the second episode and this should have been the third episode, but that's kind of the thing about um, television back then. You know, you could interchange up, you know, it's not so um, TV today is so formulated that, you know, you have to have each episode after each episode and each episode. But anyway, I, I, I had the same thought by the way. Yeah. Um, and the reason I said that is because, you know, they, um, you know, a lot of drive is about um, the Delta flyer. And I kind of felt like that would have been a better fit. Um, and here would have gotten a break. And we kind of have back-to-back seven episodes. So I kind of felt like it would have been yeah. um, would have been better. But regardless of that, I, th- I felt this was a very good episode. Um, regardless of that, um, you know, we have, um, you know, we have the children leaving, you know, three of the children that are leaving. Um, and, you know, we've known, you know, throughout their time there, how close seven has got to them. You know, she's kind of like their surrogate mother. So this, this is a big deal for her. You know, it's almost like losing... It's not like, you know, they're going away for a while or, you know, hey, we'll see each other in a year or something. You know, this, they're never going to see each other again because Voyager's never coming back. So in a lot of ways, you know, this is very traumatic. And, you know, we kind of see Seven and we, we discussed this uh, a few minutes ago, how she how she needs to portray um, strength and how she has problem problems being vulnerable. And um, that's what a lot of this episode is about. You know, she's you know, she's she's not only is she vulnerable because she's losing um, three children that she cares very deeply about and has become very close to not because they're children, but because they're relatable, they were all Borg and that kind of thing. So there's a connection there just beyond, you know, the motherly feeling of, um, of taking care of children. You know, they have this, they have this deeper connection of all being um, Borg drones at one time. So we kind of have that kind of start things off and you, know, you, you feel for seven. It's like, you know, you can see it in her, in her face when they're leaving and that kind of thing. And obviously we get into this where, you know, she, her, um, she's having Borg implants that are malfunctioning and, you know, it's threatening her life. And, you know, she's acting out her fear, um, and anger. And we see that, you know, throughout the beginning, uh, throughout this episode. And again, we have each step up and kind of, um, you know, cause he, this is his, this is basically her, his surrogate mother or sister. This is her family. And so he steps in to, to help her in the end. And, you know, she kind of, relinquishes that um that strength that she she holds on to so dearly to you know to, to kind of keep keep herself together you know and that that was a good scene towards the end there where you know you know we all help each other and i'm gonna help you and everybody kind of agreed so i i like for many reasons i, I really enjoyed this episode it's um it, it's, it's emotional it's you know poignant and it's has a lot obviously has a lot to do about seven so well, it's, yeah it's it's really good yeah. it's really good steve yeah, I, I really like it too. I think what's so interesting about it is that it kind of, um, I'm going to say it's unpredictable kind of, but I mean, I guess what I specifically mean is that it's a, it's fairly complex and where, you know, it starts off where, you know, with the, the other kids leaving and, you, and that kind of kickstarts things by bringing the, that, um, you know, that wall, bring, let's bring the wall up where I'm not going to like show that I'm upset, you know, kind of thing with seven. But then that's just, that's just really kind of the surface, you know, and then we go, you know, step by step into one thing after another. Okay. She's essentially dying. And that, that leads into all these other, uh, the nature of the relationship she has with other people on the crew, which we, we see some good stuff. I, I like this, like with Torres, you know, because they historically have had such yeah. a, and then, yeah. And then there's like, okay, now she's, you know, they've, she's sticking up for her and I, you know, it's cool. And, uh, 
and of course with uh Echeb and the nature of that relationship because he's almost kind of like background in a way you know it's like it's you know it's cool that he wants to do the starfleet thing and that's going and then it just kind of keeps building building and all of a sudden he as, as it progresses he becomes more and more crucial to the the narrative in a way um and until he's basically front and center to the narrative by the end with seven and uh and it kind of takes it and it's another layer and we'll talk more about that when we talk about what it's about but it's kind of another layer to this vulnerability thing this um this accepting assistance thing and you know um but yeah there's 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 a there's a lot going on but it it it, it feel, it's so well paced it doesn't feel like there's like spots where i'm i'm bored it just keeps moving and it's it's interesting and yeah i, I really enjoy it yeah you think you brought up that you guys with the, the kids at the beginning even that is not that's not fat that's there specifically the, those kids leaving at the beginning mm-hmm is not just there that like they could yeah they could have put that in any episode but here it serves our primary story with seven it's you know completely this to me is the perfect example of an episode that holds up you know it holds up because Mm -hmm. you know i I commented that uh unimatrix serial part two and drive the other two episodes we're discussing today i think are 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 good like and i'm surprised at how good the special effects were this is the best episode of all three, and it's the one that holds up the best. And I and I th- I like all three today. It's a rare time. It's been a while since I can say that up for a Voyager day. Um, I think all three episodes today are really good, but this one is the best one, and it has the least special effects. Uh, this one, good holds writing, up the best because it's all about character and right. Yeah, it's good writing, good performances, and it's all about character. And this is. You know the point of our podcast here are, are, are these are these universal uh, truths, the things that that really help these episodes to hold up when we talk about what stuff's about. And this episode is the perfect example of an episode that holds up because it is about truths in humanity and character that will always be worth exp- exploration. And it's just as interesting and 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 moving and dramatic today as it was you know, 20 years ago. I really think so. And, and all those scenes, yeah, that, that scene with her and seven perfect bell on it. When, when seven says, um, you've made an impact on every member of this crew. That's your legacy. Each 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 has probably the best speech in this episode. When he, when he's, that's his whole bit near the end there, when he's convincing seven that mm-hmm. she needs to learn to rely on others, so that his writing, the writing there is good. And the actor does a great job, mm-hmm. you know, which like, yeah, background, you know, you usually don't, think of him and and they wouldn't even normally give him that sort of stuff but it's great this episode is really good it's really good now not that not that there wouldn't be you know emotion in say ds9 or or our next gen if if somebody was dying but to me it's a little bit it's a little bit more poignant in voyager because voyager is a little bit unique in the fact that yes all the other crews were a family and you know they they loved each other but Voyager is an encapsulated community, you know, thousands of light years away from home. And all they have is each other, um, you know, on this ship. They don't, they don't, you know, they, they meet some friends here and the allies and that kind of, but it's just them on this ship. Um, and um, I kind of feel like they're, they're a more close knit family than any other series because of their unique situation. And um, yeah, the, the scenes with, with Taurus and even the scene with Janeway, and um seven you know they're in her ready room and she's you know 
Seven's like, it's going to hit you. Or no, they were an astromedic surgeon. She's like, oh, it's going to hit you the hardest because, you know, I yeah, I failed you. And, um, you you know, <laughs> you see the look on Janeway's, you know, it's, it's, it was very good acting by Kate that, you know, it's it's subtle because you just see the, the little bit of a, the drop in her eyes. It's like, no, you you didn't disappoint me. You you exceeded everything that I thought that you could be. And then she she's able to, she shows that just in her facial expression. So it's a tribute to the writing and the acting um, that they were able to do these little subtle things without so many words that you could kind of display this. And as audiences, as the audience and, and fans as we are, you know, we realize, you know, we, we know that these these people are, are, are stuck together. Well, they're not. They're, they're family. They're, I think they're probably closer than any of the other crews that we've seen. And because of the unique situation, it's a, it's a bit more poignant. And, you know, we talked about in the last episode how Seven has this problem of showing vulnerability because of, you know, her, um, her upbringing and her situations going through the, the Borg. And um, this episode just explodes that. And, you know, you get to see kind of a softer side of her at the end when she kind of wrinkle, you know, when she gives into that family and the people that care about her to, to help her. So what's it about? What I kind of took from it, you know, um, you, everybody has their kind of their own identity and um, Seven's identity in this episode is challenged because she's going through a traumatic situation where she is um, possibly going to die. So that, um, that if, uh, none of us have been through that situation, but you know, people who've been diagnosed with, with terminal diseases could speak more clearly to that. But I mean, it completely breaks down your, your identity and um, you see the emotions come out from seven um, anger, fear, um, all those things that, you know, that you must go through when you're, you're given that kind of news. So a lot of this episode about to me is about, you know, coming to terms with your identity and the people around you that care about you and letting them help you um, is kind of the themes that I took from this episode. Yeah. I think the, you know, in some ways the type of individual that struggles the most with being this kind of given, you know, given this kind of news and how to deal with it as someone who's, they tie their identity to their strength. You know, I'm, I'm the smartest, I'm the best, I'm the strongest. And then, and you're going to die. You're not invulnerable. Here you go. You know, and, and then to top it off, she's given the added layer of, uh, here, I, I'm going to, here's somebody that you care about, especially a child who's, I say, I don't know, I'm going to, I want to sacrifice, potentially sacrifice, I'll take this risk, sacrifice myself to help you. And that's like overload, you know, for someone like her. I mean, I think it's, that's why she struggles so much with it. And she, you know, I learned a big lesson here, this idea of, you know, we all need help sometimes, you know, and it's not this idea of not, it's not about, it's not a weak thing to need help. And it's not a, it's not a value driven exchange thing, you know, this notion of, you know, getting help, giving help and all this kind of thing. And, and that's, I think the big lesson she learned. So I think this is a, this is a big, a big deal for her. It's one of the biggest uh, single episodes in terms of potentially kind of changing her outlook on life potentially and what things are about, you know, because of what she had to learn in this episode. Let's do six degrees for imperfection. Just more of a trivia kind of question here. Let's see. Adam, you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Marley McLean, Kurt Weatherill, and Cody Weatherill Return briefly for the last time as the board kids. Name any one of their character names. And Steve, you got your sheet. Don't look. That's cheating. Azan. 
Very good. Steve, name one more. Um, Mazzotti. Very good. I couldn't have done that. I had no idea what their freaking names were. Well, I mean, I know for me is because I recently read them and I, you know, I, with words, if I see them, you know, I, I, I stick to me for a little bit, you know, at least. But yeah, off the top of my head, before, without that, no, I wouldn't know that. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the the other one was um, Reby, Reby? I don't even know. Oh, right, right. All right. Uh, two to two, moving on. Drive, Season 7, Episode 3, Production Code 249, Original Air Date, October 18th, 2000. Directed by Winrick Colby, written by Michael Taylor, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Sia Batten as Irina, Robert Tyler as Jackson, Patrick Kilpatrick as Asan, Brian George as Ambassador Ozal, and Chris Kovics as Assistant. <laughs> Tom Paris and Harry Kim are out taking the new Delta Flyer, rebuilt after the destruction of the first, for a spin through an asteroid field when they are challenged to a drag race by a pilot named Arinia and another craft. As they race, they detect a gas leak on board her shuttle. They beam her to safety and bring her craft back to Voyager for repairs. Arena tells them that she's training with her craft for an important race. Interested? Paris and Kim persuade Janeway to let them enter the Delta Flyer into the race. Janeway agrees because the race is a milestone, a peace between four warring cultures who have finally come together to end their strife. I have a chance to pilot the Flyer in a race, uh, a really unique race, and the captain thinks it's a great idea. So I guess I got so excited that I forgot about our plans. So three episodes in a row to open season seven that I think were pretty solid and enjoyable. I was very pleasantly surprised. I didn't remember that. Um, I guess my memory was, and maybe it's going to go downhill real quick, but, you know, generally I always think that season seven is never like next gen DS9 season seven. Is, most people don't hold up as high as earlier seasons, right? Here we have the first few episodes. And I think drive is pretty entertaining. I, I think it's pretty good. Actually. I, I was conscious of what's the bad version of this episode. The, the, not bad, but the not good, the not, you know, the the fine episode, the difference between this episode and a just ordinary fine ep- episode, right? And the, that would be this episode without the uh, Balana and Tom relationship stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what takes it over the top for me. That's what makes it good, t- takes it from good to, you know, from, from fine to good. And it's done very effectively. It's done. It 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 feels like it, they came at it from the other direction. Like it doesn't feel like the the character stuff is tacked onto this story about a race. It feels like the other way around. Like they mm-hmm. had these character things they wanted to achieve, and then they had these plotty stuff with the race that that were going to help do it. Yeah, it's kind of like um they started off with the B story, and then the A story kind of took over somewhere a third of the way through the the real the real episode. I think it's kind of the lesson there's like all, you know, and really that's like almost always true, right? I mean, if, if, if that approach was taken the vast majority of the time, I think they'd be in a better situation. And, you know, in general, that if you, because you try to make something, let's make the big actiony story and make it all, you know, glamour, lights, flashing, speed, whatever, you, you know, that, that can only take you so far, you know? And if you instead, there happens to be that kind of stuff going on, and you have characters like just just decide up front you've got to have some compelling character stuff happen you know and then just build around that you know yeah 
Well, what I think is kind of cool about this episode is there's a there's a lot in it that's it's entertaining, it's kind of funny at times, and it's also serious and dramatic. So it's got a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The fun stuff is, um, you know, them getting to make fun of Harry because he kind of likes this girl. And, you know, we've seen that theme throughout the whole, um, you know, series. Um, I think even Tom mentions it, mentions it somewhere in the, somewhere in the middle of the episode, like, oh, well, you fell in love with a Borg hologram, even a dead girl. You might have a chance with this one. So that's funny. I mean, you know, we can all we all get that joke like, oh, poor Harry. He's kind of finally met a cute girl. So. That's the fun part of the episode. And it makes it almost funny when she pulls a weapon on him later. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, You get the exciting stuff because the race, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, Brian, you know, the effects, you know, you get like the the cool scenes early on in the episode with with the Delta Flyer racing in this asteroid field um, against this other ship. Obviously, you get the um, the race stuff, you know, off the starting line. That's all really cool to see. So you get some really cool actiony stuff in here, and then you know, and then the real meat of the episode is the you know the relationship between Tom Paris and um, Bellana. You know how poignant it is, and how you know it's like they're almost you know they kind of go through this. They they don't get along. They're kind of opposites. They they struggle with their relationship, but. By the end of it, you you realize that they really do love each other and they really do care about each other, and that comes through um, um, in the scenes there that that in the race on the Delta Flyer. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot to this episode, and it's it flows very nicely. It doesn't drag ever. And it's yeah, it's got a good flow and pace. See, yeah, I think I think too. It's interesting, and and you know, yeah, I agree. There's just a lot of good stuff here, a lot of interesting things. Is it's kind of like it's um you you benefit to some extent from in this episode from having the rest of the series behind it too because you get like um you get history obviously tom and harry that's a long standing thing you know their friendship and the kind of stuff they do and all of that so you there's it kind of harkens back to that you get these references to all the problems harry has with women and stuff and we remember these things that he references you know and it's all there um and, and and so on, but then you also have the um, the the kind of the relatively new thing, you know, the relationship. So in, in that sense, it's almost like this retrospective. You know, you you see where you've been and you see where you could go, and in that way, we as the the viewer can also see Tom's life and see this kind of journey he's made, and that it's it's time to turn a corner in a sense. Um, you know, if he wants to step up and take the next step, you know, with with Torres and everything, and. Uh, it's just, it's just, um, and, and I think, and I think, uh, um, Roxanne Dawson does such a great job too, because it really feels like this is like, you know, uh, you know, I'm, and, and it's unusual for her. It doesn't feel like it's out of character. It just feels like this is a different layer where, you know, I, I'm at the, I'm at this place where I, I'm taking this seriously. And if you're either going to do that, we're doing this, or we're not doing this, you know, it's, you know, we're taking another step. We're not just going to continue on the same path. And you see this kind of, again, a vulnerability in a character that generally prides herself on being, you know, hard and edgy and, you know, don't, you can't get under my skin kind of thing. And so you, you see that. And so it makes for, so you really get into these people, you know what I mean? You really feel like you're in their heads and it's, and it's, and it's a serious thing. And, um, it's, it's now or never, we're, we're really doing this. And she takes, she makes, you know, she's not sacrifice, but she takes this step, which seems a little extreme and, makes this happen to replacing Harry. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to push the envelope saying, well, I'm going to do this, you know, we're, we're doing this thing. And then he ultimately, you know, stops the ship and you know, steps up, you know, and it's, 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 it's cool. Yeah, it's, I like it. And you're right. She, she's really good. You know, she's gone on and now she's this 
super in-demand director. I don't know, maybe she's never going to act again, but she's really, really good in this episode. I think that her acting in this episode is as as strong as I've ever seen her. Um, I think she's mm-hmm. just a little bit better than every than anybody else she acts with in, in, in any other scene in this episode. Uh, because she's she's really good. She's really good. Yeah, you and you get the um, you kind of get the different sides. Uh, you know, uh, the scene with her and Neelix was a good scene. It's she's more vulnerable there, where she's kind of talking to Neelix and she's expressing like, oh, maybe this isn't going to work. And Neelix kind of just confronts her with it, like, well, you love him, he loves you. I'm like, you need to tell him, and you you kind of see that sink in. With and she does a good job. Just you just see it on her on her face. The things that that Neelix had told her. What's it about? This episode's it's, it's obviously it's about relationships. Um, you know, Steve kind of hit on that um, a minute ago. You know, you see the relationships, um, the relationship, the history. You know, the, the episode starts off with the relationship between Tom and Harry. You know, you know, and like like you said, this episode benefits from you know the past six seasons of Voyager, and that we're able to kind of get this. So you see the camaraderie and the and the joy that Tom and Harry have together, have together working on these things and taking these little adventures. And then obviously you get into the real relationship between um, Tom and um, Bellana, um about taking the next step, um, maturing um, and growing together and seeing each other's vulnerabilities and um, finding um, strength from each other. Um, and so it's, it's about growth to me. Yeah. It, it's such a complex thing. You know, it, it's like, like, like with any, serious relationship it's like as soon as you think you've figured it out you don't you know because because things change all the time and 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 you know it's kind of like in a a sense uh paris was taking things for granted you know we don't we don't believe really that he ever got to the point where he just wasn't caring anymore right at least not in recent history it's just that he thought everything was cool when it wasn't and so uh, she kind of has to put him to you know bring him to task for to for that in in a unique way but uh you know ultimately all works out but it it just it just kind of illustrates the complexity of it and i think it's i think it's an interesting choice too it's kind of apt that she uh you know takes harry's spot in this thing you know and it's not saying that you know ultimately uh, you know a, a spouse relationship that kind of thing replaces a friend but in a way it's like this is a turning point where okay you know you know, if, if we're going to be serious, I become your partner. You know, we, we do things together. We, you know, we do things, you know, we understand each other. We, you know, we know our motivations and that kind of thing. And we become partners now. We're, we're the serious partner, you know, and, and what, and want, want to share each other's interests, this kind of stuff. And so it's, yeah, I agree. It's, it's a, it's a relationship thing, the complexities of relationship, the, the sacrifices and those times when it's, you know, time to step up or whatever. It's, it's, yeah, I, I really like this. Yeah, I just uh, I didn't think about that, Steve. The kind of the transition from one relationship to another. You know, it's kind of that's kind of what happens in this yeah. episode with um, Harry and Bellana. All right, six degrees for drive. Our score is two to two. Adam, are you going first or second? I'm gonna go first. Sia Batan, Sia Batan, plays Arena. She played Goldicott's daughter on DS9. Name the character. Goldicott's daughter. Oh, um, I have no idea. I could sit here and ponder. And you guess. will definitely remember it as soon as you hear it. Yes. Steve? 
Um, I'm hoping I'm, this name is that name and not a different name, but I could be wrong. I, would, I mean, I sat here and pondering it. Um, is it Torziel? Yes, Torziel. You okay. got it. Nice. Steve Baton also played the character Navar in the fourth season episode of Enterprise called Bound. What color was Navar's skin? Oh, boy. Green? Racist. <laughs> yes, it was green. Steve takes the day. All right, we're in Voyager season seven. We were just talking off off air here about how long we've been doing this podcast, and we are now in the final season of the last Star Trek that existed when we started our podcast. Obviously, we haven't done any of the the new Trek shows, Discovery or Picard, but kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. Uh, so yeah, season seven is started up for Voyager. Thank you, folks, for spending an hour with us. We're going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of Voyager's seventh season. Until then, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Do us a solid and go to your podcast app and give us uh, five stars on M- or on iTunes. It just takes a second. And that's how people can find us. Uh, you can also leave us an actual review with words and say how awesome we are, <laughs> which we appreciate. But even just the five stars helps people find us. So thank you again for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.